hi. Uh, this is Mike Edelhart, and uh, here with another edition of Inception, uh, our podcast where we talk about everything having to do with beginnings, the beginnings of companies, the beginnings of uh, ideas, technologies, uh, maybe even a little bit the beginnings of the future. And I'm uh, joined here today, and great to uh, have the chance to talk with Daniel Tate, who's a uh, uh, CEO of Greenhouse, one of our earliest and most successful uh, uh, investments. Great to see you. Great to see you as well, Mike. Thanks. So maybe for starters, just if you could tell everybody a little about yourself, uh, how you came to be uh, uh, doing uh, uh, Greenhouse, maybe uh, even how we all uh, got to know each other in the first place. Sure thing. So uh, I grew up in Michigan. I was a computer nerd in my, uh, my life. Um, graduated college in the mid-90s uh, from the University of Michigan with a degree in computer engineering. I was always the kind of kid growing up, Mike, who was always had some kind of side hustle. I always was starting a business. Uh, I famously started a business one time when I got sent to the principal's office in high school and saw that the they had installed a new computer system. And before I could even get into the principal's office, I had got hired by the school to train them on their new word processing software. So that was always me. And as I uh, entered the workforce, I realized that having a job, a workaday job in a cubicle for other people, just it wasn't me. It wasn't happening. And so I quit my, my, my first and only job in New York in 1996. I started a company here. And it was really through that experience of building my own company and building, uh, being an entrepreneur that I realized the importance of hiring. And so I had been competing for talent on Wall Street since the 90s. And I realized that if I could reliably hire the greatest people anytime I wanted. That was an incredible weapon. Uh, and so I became the head of HR for my own startup and I, I ran talent acquisition and hiring for uh, the better part of a decade. And through that experience really saw the power of great hiring. And so when you ask about how we started Greenhouse, after I sold that business, Mike, I had the opportunity to meet with lots of other folks and hear about what's happening in other businesses. And what surprised me more than anything at that point was you know despite the fact that so many people say hiring talent is one of my top concerns, that still at most companies, they don't have that feeling that hiring is a weapon. They don't feel like they can get the people they need when they need them. And HR is kind of seen as like a little bit of a backwater. I never had that experience. To me, talent acquisition and hiring was the critical backbone of building a great organization. And so I thought, well, if hiring is one of the most important priorities for any leader. And one of the things that most companies are the worst at, boy, we could create a lot of value if we help them get better. And so that was sort of where the idea came from. As I remember in one of our very first meetings, you said something along the lines of Greenhouse is recruiting done in a way nobody from traditional HR would have ever done it. And that's why uh, you thought that the company was uh, uh, really catching a lot of attention. Well, that was so surprising. That was what was so surprising to me exactly is that, you know, because I didn't, not only did I not have a HR background formally, but I had never really been a part of HR because I didn't have a job for very long. I didn't know how any of the stuff was quote unquote supposed to work. And so instead, uh, I just figured out what was working <laughs> and did more of it. Um, and so, you know, the fact that you can take kind of process control ideas and um, the science of kind of how people make decisions 
and that that was so different and unique, I think was was both surprising to me, but also very very um, uh, comforting and inspiring because I thought, well, this is easy. <laughs> Most anyone could, I I could do it. Certainly others can. Do you think the fact that you felt that it was easy indicates maybe that you really got it, and the fact that you really got it is one reason why uh, you've done well? May yes, I don't want to overstate it. I, I, I as soon as I said that, so it's not easy. It's simple. You know, um, the the concepts of of how you become great at hiring as a company are, are quite simple. Doing it is hard. You know, just because something simple doesn't mean it's it's easy to do. Um, and I think that was where over the last seven years, uh, now that we've been in business, we've started to really see where the work is to be done. So we were talking, uh, it was we were waiting uh, to come in and do this about uh, your job today, how things have changed. You were talking about how different it is now than it was in the uh, beginning. So particularly with other entrepreneurs in mind, what was it like at the beginning and how is it different now and how do you feel about that change? <laughs> Uh, well, so at the beginning, you have nothing. We had two guys in a PowerPoint, as we, as we liked to say. And so everything is a scrappy, you know, best effort, figure it out as you go kind of basis. And so I think about things like how we, um, even figured out if we had a good idea at all. And one of the great lessons that I learned from John Strauss, my co-founder was to really test and investigate our ideas skeptically before just proceeding as the sort of entrepreneurial, um, excitable, outward facing person. You know, my first instinct when I have any idea is that it's the best idea I've ever heard. Let's forget everything else I've ever done and go do it, you know, full speed until the next idea comes along. Well, John's a lot more thoughtful than I am, thank God, and prodded us to really, really test an experiment. And so we did an experiment where we wanted to know is our idea of how companies ought to hire even a good idea? Will other people like it or hate it? Will it be will it work or not? Um, and so uh, we had this idea to take what we had done and package it up into a class. And the class was called How to Make Hiring Strength of Your Company. And we pitched it to General Assembly. We said, hey, GA, you guys are teaching you know, um, you know, folks that are starting businesses all the skills they need to, to be an entrepreneur. Surely hiring is one of them. And they agreed, and they and they let us teach the class in their in their space, and they brought all the students. What that taught us, Mike, was, hey, first of all, there's a enough people that'll show up on a Wednesday night and listen to me for three hours after work. That hiring actually does matter to people. They don't just say it matters to them. Number two, basically, what we were teaching as a class is what is now our product. Things like have a scorecard for when you interview a candidate so everyone can agree on the criteria. Things like how you ask different types of questions to understand or how to measure your, you know, your, your sourcing activities. We just taught that as a class. And the, and the thing we were trying to learn was, does anybody care? Will they like the ideas or not? And, and what we were really excited about was, boy, uh, people would call me or email me after the class and say, that changed everything. I left your class. I came into the office the next day, had a big meeting with my team, and redid how we do all of our hiring. And so I heard that over and over and over again, similar stories. And so for not, not only no money, but we got, I mean, they paid us 35 bucks a night to teach the class. And so, you know, hey, like as a startup, you know, pre-funding, that was a great way for us to get some validation that our deal was good. Oh, by the way, at the beginning of the class, I would pass out a clipboard. I'd say, hi, I'm Daniel, I'm your instructor tonight. If everybody could sign in on the, on the clipboard, then we can get going, which then became my first marketing list. Got it. So scrappy, uh, uh, 
sort of substituting imagination for money. Absolutely. And uh, and now uh, a lot different, huh? Uh, it's definitely different. I mean, it's funny. I spend time with lots of early stage startups now. And for a while, I was trying to figure out what the... There was an interesting dynamic I noticed where they sort of imagine that you don't have any problems. It sort of felt like that to me. And I thought, why does it, why is that? Because I certainly, my reality every day is full of all kinds of challenges and problems and issues on, on my mind. But what I realize is when, you know, you get from stage to stage and now we're just for a little bit of context, we have, you know, several hundred employees, thousands of customers. We've raised hundred million plus dollars. All the problems I had back then, I don't have anymore. So I understand why, from the perspective of an inception stage startup, you look at uh, you look at me and you say, well, he, "Well, this guy's got it all figured out; doesn't have any problems." The truth is, I don't have any of those problems. <laughs> Unfortunately for me, <laughs> we have a whole new set of problems. So the thing, one of the things I've learned is that every step of the way, you know, the game just changes completely. And so you work your tail off to crack the problem of how do I get my first customer? How do I raise my first dollar? How do I hire my first employee? And then you have a new set of problems around how do you deal with those things and how do you get to the next level? And it just keeps going, which I love. I mean, that's, if it wasn't constantly changing uh, and, and, and keep getting harder, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing it, um, but yeah. So at this stage, uh, not that you wouldn't necessarily do this forever, but there's a lot of talk about how it's relatively rare for the entrepreneur that starts the company to be the entrepreneur that finishes the company. And that one of the challenges, successfully, successfully yes. <laughs> finishing it the other way. Yeah, finishing it the other way. <laughs> uh, uh, and that uh, one of the challenges for uh, uh, a, a startup CEO is the emotional intelligence to know when it's time to leave the party. Uh, has your company gotten to the point where you think about that at all? yet or uh it sounds like it's still pretty much fun every day well, i hope you don't know something i don't know uh i i love my job i mean it's just to me um there's nothing else i would rather be doing um being a ceo is one of the great has a lot of great privileges and one of the great privileges is as you build your business you can constantly ask what am i doing that other people could do better and you can have uh, you know the the opportunity to go hire people or put other people in the, in the position to to do those things, and so you can really focus your job, and you really should focus your job on those few areas where you uniquely in the organization can have impact, uh, and 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 um, and and uh, others can do the rest, and so you know in in most jobs that's not the case. In most jobs they can say, well, geez, my head of finance is really good at at accounting, but not so good at, at the you know financial planning. Let's replace that person. In the CEO, you say, well, geez, I'm really good at strategy. I'm not so good at day-to-day. -day. Let's hire a day-to-day -day person. And so I've benefited a lot from that from that dynamic, <laughs> but because you know I, I I you know all my job is to in a lot of ways I hire great people and put them in a position to do their best work, and then so you know solve problems and, and get and get get out of their way. Is more of your time now spent as a uh manager of other people who own their obligations or own their responsibilities? Uh, and uh, uh, is that something you really, uh, uh, really like? I'm not a great manager. I like to say that I'm really great at managing amazing people. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think of it as you know, I spend a lot of my time partnering with people on my team who are 
responsible for their job. And I make it very you know, clear. It's very clear to me and to them whose job it is to do. It's theirs, not mine. Um, but I try to partner with them to think about what are the areas that they ought to be focusing on or not? What are the priorities? How can we solve problems together? How can I coach them through those challenges more so than managing? Um, but yeah, it's definitely more about leading versus doing the actual stuff. There's a very, very few select cases where I directly get involved in, say, a customer or designing a particular feature or working on a specific issue. Um, I get more involved um, when things are at the extreme. So I like to say that I'm I'm on, I'm in situations where we need to be really really nice or really really mean, and everything in between others others can handle better than me. So you talk uh, about the CEO's role in the framework of uh, leadership. So it'd be great to hear what's your concept of leadership when you talk about leading. What's the mental picture you have in your head? I have a actually, good question when you put it as a mental picture. Um, I read this one time. I think it was Fred Kaufman from Conscious Business put this mental picture in something he said, which I thought was really interesting, which is if you picture a track race and you picture some runners running around a track, from one perspective, if you look at the person in the front of the pack, it may seem that everyone else in the pack is following that person, Right. What Fred says is that great leaders have no followers. What Fred says in this in this piece is that um, they're all actually not pursuing the leader, but they're all, including the leader, pursuing the same goal. The leader just happens to be a little bit further in front than the rest. At that moment. At that moment. And so in that with that mental picture, you know, your job as a leader is really to like identify where that goal is and help others see it so that they themselves can be motivated to run towards that goal, not to run towards me. And so in a lot of ways, it's it's about thinking about where are we trying to go and explaining that. A lot of it involves repetition. A lot of it involves cl clarifying um, and over-communicating. Where is it we're trying to go? How are we doing? How are we supposed to get there? And it's not about really following me at all. It's about if everyone else is inspired to that same vision, then they'll get there their best way, much more so than me telling them you know, what to do along the way. When you first got started, uh you had uh, many of the leading digital companies uh, as early customers. And I'm curious, looking back on it, was that brilliant strategy? You know, as they grew, you grew. As they got prominent, you got prominent alongside them. Was it just the folks you knew? Was it they were the only folks willing to do things in new ways? Uh, how did you wind up with that uh, prominent a coterie of early customers? I think it really helped. I think it really helped as well. Um, I think it was very intentional and strategic, but not in the way that you're imagining. So we didn't decide that, hey, if we go get these great customers, everyone else will you know, follow along. What we did really well was we thought about the important problem to solve, and we thought about the best way to solve that problem. And it turned out that there were those forward-thinking companies that were best positioned to know that they had that problem and to do something about it. So if you were an older company with lots of legacy infrastructure, tools, ways of doing things, people, you weren't as able to adapt. If you were a younger company but not as fast growing, you may have had more ability to adapt, but you weren't as pressured to compete for talent. And so it turned out that an Airbnb, a Pinterest, a Slack is the ideal customer for something like we're doing because it's about growing fast into the future 
but you're able to do that, you know, sort of quickly. And so that was a happy accident, I think, of the fact that we chose this problem and the way that we chose to solve it. And uh, uh, we talked a little again uh, before we got in here about the fact that your company has uh, reached the point where we're actually uh, beginning to become a bit of an ecosystem that folks are tying into uh, into greenhouse and uh, you know we as investors uh, talk about that a lot. Uh, there are companies that go from being off on their own working with customers to actually getting to the point where other companies wake up in the morning and have aligned interests that your success becomes their success and it's a big change it's kind of a rubicon that uh, companies that get to that point uh, have achieved something uh, kind of remarkable and you have um, i'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, how that came to be and where you are in that process now and how you might advise somebody else uh, to achieve it that last part will require a little bit of thought um you know, so much had to do with our situation. We're, you know, we're not the only people who thought that solving problems around hiring was uh, valuable or a big opportunity that hadn't yet been solved. Lots of people have. And so what we've seen is that there have been literally billions of dollars of venture capital and, and, and investment put into companies just since we started to try to solve various pieces of, of the hiring puzzle, whether it's how do I find... Uh, enough candidates, or how do I diversify my my um, advertising of those jobs? How do I um, run pieces of the workflow from interview scheduling to texting with candidates to running background checks, and so on and so forth? There's all these pieces of the puzzle, and lots of companies have been formed to tackle each of those, but they all kind of need to work together, and historically, none of them did. So there were these sort of systems of record that were used by HR, but they weren't really ever conceived as platforms. And that really limited the growth of the industry in a lot of important ways. Well, when we started, we knew we didn't want to solve all those problems. So simply to help bring the those technologies to our customers and avoid a lot of work, we created open APIs. We said, hey, we can build this API once, we can document it really well, we can support it as a first class concept, and then we're done. We don't have to do all the work. I don't have to figure out how to compress video uh you know from candidates and make it look good to the hiring manager i don't have to figure out you know the six point psychology of interviewing great sales leaders let the let the market solve those problems um, and we can just tie it all together through our apis well it turns out that if you just support an open platform in an important space um, and maybe you get a little bit lucky you, you end up with a, a pretty special a, a pretty special ingredient and i think for us we had that so we now have a very fast growing and the largest ecosystem in our industry, uh, close to 250 companies have built greenhouse integrations now, and that number is growing really quickly. The other thing we look at is how many of our customers are using those. And on average, our customers are using almost twice as many integrations uh, from our ecosystem as they were just 18 months ago. And that number, again, keeps growing just as fast. And so we're bringing lots of value of these many hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars of investment capital that have gone into this, our customers get to benefit from those solutions without us having to build it all directly, which is great. Uh, I'm curious, uh, if you don't mind sort of going outside the frame a little bit, uh, we have a business uh, uh, relationship through the fund and the business, but I happen to know you actually have a life life and like a family and children and all that. And so I'd be interested to hear how you're balancing 
all that. Uh, uh, how do you handle work-life balance, or do you, or is everybody coping? My, my, son, my oldest son jokes that he got really good at making decisions because nobody else was around to do them. Right. Uh, what about your family? No, I mean, ruthless prioritization. So I have a, I have a CEO wife, and uh, I have a six-and-a-half-year-old, which everyone's ever had a six-and-a-half-year-old. You know that they're as bossy as, as anyone around. Um, and so I like to say, you know, um, uh, work hard, exercise, eat right, get lots of sleep, visit, socialize, um, uh, pick anyone, <laughs> but you can't do it all. Um, there's just, there's, there's too, you know, there's not enough hours in the day and, um, there's too many demands on, on anyone's time, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a founder, whether, or, or otherwise. Um, and so I try to be really good about a few things. I try to be really good at being present with who I am when I'm there. And so that can mean, um, you know, shutting off my phone during the day. It's quite hard to get a hold of me if you're not in my immediate vicinity. I'm not arranging my social life. I'm not calling my friends. I'm not on Facebook. Um, but on the weekend, it means I'm with my wife and with my son and we're out at the park or we're at the museum or we're doing what we're doing. And I don't do a lot of work on the weekends, believe it or not. Um, you know, there's infinity amount of work to do, right? I mean, I'm never done. My I talked about this with my dad. My dad was a was a radiologist. Um, and he used to say, you know, when I came into work, there was like a stack of films on the desk for me to read. And he would read them and you'd put them up in the like you've ever seen on TV, like the radiologist, they have a wall of that's lit up and you put the film up there and you look at the broken bone or whatever it is, you diagnose it, put it in the done pile. And he would say at the end of the pile, you know, I was done, I'd put my hat on and go home. And he said to me, How do you know when you're done? Like when do you go home? And the truth is, for any of us in this field, we're never done. There's always more. That proposal could always use another pass. There's always another customer call you could make or employee issue you could tackle. So you just have to pick a boundary and, and live within it for the most part and do the best you can. And then the truth is, like, I don't think I have it any more figured out than anyone else. I don't want to be pontificating that I have all the answers. I, To your point, like, in a lot of ways, you're, you're hanging on for dear life and hoping you don't break too many things. Yeah, I think so. I think I was probably you know, well older than you are now, when it really sank in, the list is infinitely long and will never be complete. Uh, and I used to try. When I was young, I was an eager beaver. I'd get up at four. I'd do tasks until six. I'd do writing until eight. I'd go into, you know, and, and uh, in a way that works when one's 20, sort of. In a, uh, you have an uh, overabundance of energy and therefore profligacy uh, <laughs> is acceptable. But as soon as I started getting really mature, uh, I had to, and I think we all have to live in this kind of uh, hyperactive uh, uh, world, uh, recognize that the tasks are overmatching to all of us. And all we can do is get through the day in as good an order as possible. That's right, Mike. And there's another aspect to it as well. You asked earlier about how my role has changed. Um, there's an aspect to it of um, when you're the CEO and as the company grows, there's many things that you increasingly should not be involved in, right? I described it recently to some people I was talking with that as a CEO, like I'm a very powerful tool, but I'm a powerful tool like a chainsaw or a flamethrower is a powerful tool. When that's the problem you're trying to solve, it's great. When you're trying to solve a different problem, a chainsaw or a flamethrower can be really bad. Um, you know, if you're performing inner ear surgery 
or you know, uh, you ought, you don't want to bring a chainsaw to the table. And being a CEO in a lot of ways is the same thing. If you if you show up in a in an ordinary you know uh, workaday staff meeting and they're and they're they're writing a document or doing some client preparation and you ask a couple questions, next thing you know, it distorts the whole atmosphere around you. And so there, I have a growing awareness as well of you know there are a lot of areas where my involvement can be destructive, and I do need to not even get near it or else I'll, I'll be in, I'll be in a world of, of problems. Yeah. Uh, to get a little mystical, one of the concepts in the Zohar, the Jewish mystical book, the question is, if God's perfect, how come uh, everything doesn't work right? How come humans are the way they are? And the answer was God withdrew. God stepped back so that there was space and which humans could become humans because otherwise all that would happen would be a reflection of God directly. And I think uh, uh, in the much more realistic yeah. and prosaic sense, CEOs sort of got to do the same thing. You got to back up, and at least in my case too with parenting also, you got to back up. You know, too much helicoptering. <laughs> the, the, the analogies between parenting and, and, uh, and, and leading at work are very, very uh, multiple and, and, and run deep, absolutely. Yeah, I uh, I think so. So one last question. So two part. So what's next for Greenhouse? And and then as an individual, what's the next goal target you have for yourself? Well, uh, you you ask what's next for Greenhouse. So I'm in I'm in that mode right now because it's kind of end of year and we're thinking about you know the the upcoming year, which we do every year. Um, and boy, I just think we're just getting started. It feels like um, we're so early in our journey that for me, it's really about you know, we've created this big platform. How do we take advantage of those connections to create value for our customers? Um, we've served, as you mentioned, a lot of the most innovative younger companies. How do we continue to evolve our platform to be able to handle larger and more stable and more complex customer relationships? Um, you know, we've grown to a certain degree, but we've also raised a lot of capital. How do we continue to build value in the business? So there's a next level to everything and that never stops. So for me, it's just about finding like what is that next level within the company, within our customers, within our partnership ecosystems, and then what? How do we how do we continue to to push forward in that? And for me, Mike, I mean, I, I reevaluate my job uh, several times a year. It's almost always the case that um, when I sit down, usually quarterly or or maybe three or four times a year, uh, and 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 look at what are my priorities right now, and then I go through my calendar and I look at what am I actually doing. They never line up, <laughs> right? And so I take those opportunities to like recast it. And that usually lasts for a few months. And then I realize I, I need to do it again. So I'm constantly just trying to make sure that I'm focusing my attention in the right way and on the right places and that um, I'm earning the privilege I have, which is to lead this organization and to work with the team that I, that I do and to have the job that I have. Like the flip side of that, oh, I can always go hire other people to do these things is like, there is a, a there's an internal burden that I feel around well, what is my job and how do I keep adding value and so I need to keep learning and growing and, and stepping it up in order to feel like I survive and and to answer that question of why haven't they replaced me yet so hopefully we'll talk again in a year or two and I'll still be here sounds like as good a way to end as any great to see you as always uh, it's lovely to hear uh, your uh, thoughts and ideas and uh, just keep on uh, doing what you're doing it's going great mm -hmm.